Just whose job is it to disciple your kids anyway? Some say it's the job of the youth pastor. After all, isn't that why we hired him at our church? Then there are those that believe it's the work of the youth pastor, but with a little bit of help from mom and dad on the side. Others hold that it is primarily, and from the moment children come into the world, the job for mom and especially for dad to do in the home. All options have been tried, but which one does the Bible teach? Join us as we take this time to stop and think about it. Hello? Hello, anybody home? I'm think, McFly, think. I'm thinking, I'm thinking. What were you thinking? I'm trying to think, but nothing happens. Don't say anything now. Just think about it. You're listening to Stop and Think About It. A podcast for the Christian thinker. In a day when sound biblical preaching has been replaced by man-centered entertainment, and the church has become increasingly anti-intellectual, this podcast will encourage believers to think biblically and theologically. So please join me as we get ready to stop and think about it. Greetings, friends and foes, saints and sinners. Welcome to another episode of the Stop and Think About It podcast. Glenn, our West Indian wordsmith, is teaching a Bible study as we put this podcast together. So unfortunately, he will not be joining us tonight. But, but, we have someone that has returned. Nick Vasquez, the Puerto Rican Puritan, is with us tonight. And we have myself as your host, Phil, the Bronx Expositor. Now, Nick, you're familiar with family worship, right? Yes, sir. I've seen many models of discipleship that we mentioned before. What has been your experience with youth discipleship in your life and in your former churches? Yeah, so in the church that I used to go to, I would help out the youth pastor. And uh, I never really seen a lot of kids focused. They would normally, it would be spending most of the time during during the, the junior church or, or Wednesday night Bible study. It would be really behavior management. Um, very few kids would would uh would be would catch on and be focused on that. And um, eventually, I asked my pastor at the time if I could uh, take part in doing junior church as well, and he said yes. And by that time, I was um I was on to catechisms, and I started teaching the kids catechisms. I don't find that youth discipleship from the churches was very, uh, for lack of a better word, successful. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, I found that uh, I was a youth pastor. I was a children's pastor, played those roles. And most of the kids that I had in youth and children's ministries, as of present today, almost none of them are walking with Christ. I think that there's only two that I know of that are walking with Christ. There might be one or two others but only two that I know of. Uh, most of them are nowhere with the Lord today, unfortunately. And so the two that are walking with Christ did not have fathers that were believers. So kind of ironic. I was kind of the closest thing they had to a spiritual father. And very interesting story. This is just an aside. This has never happened before or since. We left one of the youth on a trip going to a youth convention uh, we were driving back all the way from upstate New York, back into the city. 
we drove a few hours, I guess, and we stopped at a Chinese food restaurant. We actually forgot the kid. Um, none of the youth leaders picked up on it. I'm the person responsible ultimately for it. And I didn't pick up on it either because we shifted some kids around from a bus to a, a minivan that I was driving. And so we thought he was, you know, in there. Um, and so he ends up getting picked up by another youth group coming into Long Island and he sits next to a girl. Uh, he, the girl tries to talk to him. He doesn't really, he's not very kind toward her. And eventually they started talking they're married with two kids now. Can you believe that, Nick? Get out of here. That's crazy. <laughs> That's the sovereignty of God. I've never left a kid in my life. I didn't expect that ending right there. <laughs> and the one kid I leave behind, he meets his future wife. So glory to God. And I'm still in contact with him, and he is still walking with Christ. So if you're listening to this, praise be to God. Uh, you're still walking with Jesus. His name is Stephen Campisi. That probably saved you a lawsuit. <laughs> yes, yes. So he thanks me to this day for leaving him behind. <laughs> I guess something can come good. Uh, something good can come out of uh, being left behind besides the uh, the video series on dispensational eschatology, but that for another day. <laughs> All right. So, Nick, um, Youth ministries, biblical, not biblical, working, not working. I want to read a quote, and I want to hear your feedback on this. A man named Alan Reed wrote in a book called Raising the Bar. Over the last 30 years, we have seen the largest increase in the number of professional youth ministers and youth ministry degrees being handed out and parachurch organizations designed to reach youth, and we have seen the greatest decline in youth baptisms ever. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, really, in my experience, I've seen very few kids that were receptive. And um, the funny thing is, like, with my experience also, is that um, the church that I was in really just picked up the kids and didn't have much to do with the parents. They didn't even require that the parents would come. So a lot of these kids were, were, were mainly street kids, pretty rough kids for the most part. And honestly... You know, let maybe about three or four that were receptive, but since there wasn't that that foundation at home, you know, it really, you know, there was no baptism ever because they didn't have the foundation to really just um, help carry them over through the rough times. We, we, you know, the church had but so much influence on them. You know what I mean? Vodi Bakum made these three assertions about youth ministry. He said, number one, it is unbiblical. Number two, it is antithetical to the biblical model to evangelize and disciple young people. And number three, it is not working and it does not work. And so he brought forward a statistic that I've heard from many youth, quote unquote, professionals and preachers. Uh, Josh McDowell, Paul Washer, Vody Bauckham, and I believe Scott Brown from the Family Integrated Church Movement. 75 to 88% is our current failure rate of kids growing up, apparently, in the church. They're leaving the church after they graduate high school or at best in, after their first year as a freshman in college. They're walking away from the things of God. What do you think about that? The world is sucking them up, and 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 I'm I'm asking, right? If it's a seventy-five to eighty-eight percent 
failure rate, why are we still doing it? Now that, that that's what I call hustling backwards, right? And this that's also right. runs akin to like, you know, like I've seen it so many times where they they're, they're given the 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 large invitation, right? And they're saying, "Repeat this after me." There's no there's no heart, there's no sincerity in it. Um, <laughs> to be quite honest with you, right? To 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 be transparent, my own son, you know, my my youngest son, he he must have received Christ about three or four times <laughs> on different occasions. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, I always prayed that it would be genuine, but that's the fact of the matter. You know, he, he went to a, a, a high point camp a couple of times or one time, I think. And, and of course he received Christ there. I got the little card and, and, you know, saying the date and all that, that he received Christ. And, and it just, Vody's absolutely right. It, it is unbiblical and it does not work. And that's my question. With such a high failure rate, why is it still going down like that? I mean, I think that that's, that's just such a common sense question. If it's not working, why do we keep doing it? Um, and I, to quote Vody Bauckham again, uh, he, he said something like this. Uh, we've told people, mom and dad, don't try this at home. We understand your kids better than you do. You feed them, clothe them, and change them and provide for them. But we have youth pastors that can spiritually raise them because they have a ministry degree and credentials that says they can do the job better than you, mom and dad. So don't try it at home. We can do the job for you. But I just heard what you said, Nick, concerning you had a bunch of street kids. And you know the streets pretty well, don't you? Yes, I do. But even (laughs) though you knew the streets well, does that mean that you were able to connect better with street kids than their own parents no i mean honestly nobody knows the sins of their kids like the parents absolutely and how long do we have which with kids um on a youth ministry night how many how many hours a week are we spending with these kids are we talking about two hours two hours tops Okay, so that's two hours a week. Let's say there's predominantly four weeks in a month. So what do we got there? We got two, four, six, eight. We got eight hours, and the parents have them for how many hours? Too many for me to count. (laughs) But, but, I mean, even in the math, you want me to have your kid for eight hours a month, and you want me to turn them into the Apostle Paul with eight hours a month? Right. And what are you doing at home, mom and dad? You got them for all these hours and you're doing nothing. And you're expecting me as a youth pastor to for this kid to, to be the next Jonathan Edwards. And uh, it's not working, like you said. Yeah. And so scripture commands us. There's a couple of verses that I love. Well, I love all the verses in the scriptures. But concerning this topic, uh, Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four through nine is more aptly called the Shema. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words I command you shall be on your heart. Now, in verse 7, he says this, You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So as we look at this, what is Moses telling youth pastors they must do? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> that's is that that's not the youth pastors? 
No, I didn't see that there. <laughs> Hold up. Let me look again. That's in second hesitations, as some would say. <laughs> so, like, what are we seeing here? What, what, what does he tell parents that they must do? The parent is the parent's job. It's the parent's duty to teach their kids, to cultivate, you know, a, a life of worship and to teach them of the ways of God. It's, it's the parent's job. Nobody else is, is that's not, nobody else is called upon to do that. You know, and, and just to bring it back a little bit, right? I wonder if some parents feel that sending their kids to the youth pastors and so and such, like I experienced where, where the parents really never really came to church. Like, you, do you think, Phil, that that was kind of their act of, of, of piety where they did their good deed, they send their kid to church? Great question. So I think that John Dewey, uh, kind of the modern father of public education, um, has influenced the church in the same exact way. So kids send their, I'm sorry, kids are sent by their parents to school and kids are sent by their parents to church. The parents aren't in the school with them, right? I'm a school teacher. Uh, I have tons of parents that do not show up for parent-teacher conference night. I have parents that I contact that do not return phone calls or emails. Um, There's plenty of them that do, but a lot of the ones that I really need to get in contact with, not so much. And so I feel that we have tons of parents that just send their kids. But look at the beginning of Deuteronomy 6. He says, Hero Israel. So he's talking to all of Israel that understands. And then he tells them that they first have to love the Lord their God with their whole being. And then as they mm. do that, they're supposed to turn around and teach about the God that they claim they love with their whole being to their children. And I love this word you shall teach them diligently. Mm. Not when you get around to it. Not when you feel like it, not when things are going well, not every once in a while, not once a week, but diligence. It's kind of like building a wall, one brick at a time. If you put three bricks on and you don't put anything on for the next two years, you're not going to have a very solid wall. And if you don't teach your kids diligently, you're not going to have very solid kids. They're not going to be able to withstand the walls of the enemy. I've heard that when wolves attack a flock of sheep, they always go to the back of the flock because they want to pick off the little lambs. Mm. And that's our kids. The enemy wants to take our little kids downtown and devour them. And he wants to control them and give them influences. And he doesn't want you and I as fathers or those that are listening as mothers or parents to influence our kids. Yep. And, 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 and I love it because it's like you said, um, it is the parents duty first and foremost to, to, to set it off, right? It's, it's the parents duty to set it off, to love the Lord God, you know, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might, you gotta, you gotta love the Lord. It's got to come sincerely and straight from your heart. They gotta see it. They gotta, they gotta believe it when, when they hear it coming from you. You know, it, it just can't be something that you got to do just to check off on the list on the refrigerator, you know? Yes, yes. It's not a checkoff list. I, I couldn't agree more. 
And then he continues and he says, talk of them when you sit down in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. I mean, he's just basically saying, listen, talk about the things of God all day long with your kids. Because if you don't do it, someone else is going to speak into their life about things that, uh, about a worldview, and you're not going to want the worldview that they're going to give your kids. Matter of fact, I've often said, if you don't disciple your kids, the world will do it for you, and you're not going to like what they receive from the world. Yep. One more verse, although there are a slew of them. Proverbs 22, verse 6, the book of wisdom says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, many people take that to be a promise. Proverbs is not a book of promises. It's a book of wisdom. And therein a book of principles. So generally speaking, if you train up your children in the way they should go, even when they're old, they won't depart from it because they'll always know the way and they'll know the way back. Yep. So, you know, we, we see that there were those in the scriptures that, that, that went off the beaten path and then they came back. I mean, uh, look at David. We know he wasn't a child when he, you know, when he repented, but he knew the way back. And no doubt his father, Jesse, taught him the ways of God and the things of God. And even when he sinned, when he committed murder and he lied and, and he lied with Bathsheba and he committed adultery, he knew how to come back. Uh, Psalm 51, he writes his prayer of repentance right there. Now, Nick, I remember you were teaching on uh, scripture and the importance of scripture and the authority of scripture and when you should be learning scripture and you focus on the book of Timothy and how Timothy came to faith. Um, just remind me again, the name of Timothy's youth pastor. Uh, the youth pastor. I think it was uh, Abuelita Lois and <laughs> Mommy Eunice. <laughs> so wait, Timothy didn't have a youth pastor? No, I, I, I can't recall. Matter of fact, I don't even think daddy was saved. <laughs> oh, man. Isn't that interesting? So Timothy's father wasn't even saved, and his mother and his grandmother influenced him for Christ. And then I believe the apostle Paul picked him up and discipled him, and Timothy became a pastor mm-hmm. without Timothy, a youth pastor and, in his life. And doesn't Timothy kind of point out, you know, to remember what you've been taught from your mother and your grandmother. Yeah, I agree. So Timothy never filled out the walk down the aisle and sign your sign your name on the cards that you got saved and repeated the sinner's prayer. He that never happened in Timothy's life. You tell me that, Nick, and he still got saved. True story, man. If I'm lying, I'm frying. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, the biggest thing is, how can we get back on track? Because it seems like we need an extreme home makeover and a paradigm shift in our thinking. Uh, The book of Romans, chapter 12 and verse 2, Paul instructs us in what I believe exactly what we need. He says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is that good and acceptable and perfect. And so I think we need to get back to what we see in the scriptures instead of doing what seems to be popular and hip. Uh, Youth ministries don't seem to be working, but let's talk about the family. 
Um, would you agree that there's a huge attack on the family today from like all sides? Yeah. And, and I, I just feel like the family seems to be, you know, public enemy number one. And, yeah. and, and definitely the enemy knows that you break down the family and you really just break down society. Society falls apart right after that. I agree. Strong societies are built on strong families. And uh, we see the the uh, LGBTQA plus and who knows what other letters might come after that. Soon to be P at the end of the year. There you go. <laughs> um, many liberals, even the Black Lives Matter, uh, they attack the family through unbiblical worldviews and the vain philosophies of men. It's right in their statement of faith as well. It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. They're they're very much against what they would call patriarchy. They don't mention fathers in their statement of faith whatsoever. But God created Adam. He created a man. And then that man became a husband. And then that man became a father. And so women had relations in the context of men and related to God as well through their husband as well. There, there was this family structure that took place. And it took a mother and a father to raise a child that was the original blueprints. But um, fatherlessness is a social pandemic that I believe is much more devastating than COVID-19. But many people are talking about COVID-19, but they're not talking about the fatherlessness and the breakdown of the family in the homes. Um, we just don't see dad staying around in the home to raise children anymore. Uh, many just don't seem to want to be responsible because after all, you could just murder the child through abortion or the government could just be the bankroll for them. Yep. I mean, basically, you know, if you make it easy for somebody, they're going to go for broke. You give an inch, you're going to take a mile. If God, you know, looses the restraint on somebody, that somebody is not going to somewhere down the road say, you know what, maybe I've been doing the wrong thing. Let me turn around and go back to God. You're just going to move on forward until you really witness and realize the full potential of your own sin. And if you wow. make things easy, like easy divorce and 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 uh, make things easy, like um, easy welfare, what, what incentive does somebody have to keep the family together? And being that God is the creator of the family, He's the architect of the family. He's given us the blueprint. Then how he instructed us to raise our families should be what we do to glorify him. How has God instructed families to pass on their faith to the next generation? And I remember uh, Nick and I uh, went with Jose Ocasio, another member of Soul Fishing Ministries, uh, to the G3 conference and were greatly impacted by a sermon from Joel Beakey on the Puritan view of worship. And we were really pricked in the heart by the aspect that spoke on family worship. It just riveted our hearts. Nick, you remember that sermon? Yep. And I got to be honest, bro. I think that could have been, if that was the only sermon that I would have heard at the G3, I would have been totally content. I felt like I got hit over the head by Captain Caveman's club. I mean, <laughs> I was so blessed by it and I learned so much and I was challenged by, by Joe Beakey's sermon. 
Yeah, yeah. And so we're going to just touch on some of the aspects of his sermon and just discuss it at this time because it just was so riveting once again. And um, so when we think about the sermon, one of the things that he said, and I've heard this before, and he just echoed it, uh, that family worship is the most important thing, thing you could do in your family. And I know that you do it in your family, Nick. I know I do it in my family. Matter of fact, uh, we're, we're sitting right now where I do uh, family worship with my children. <laughs> and it's a tremendous blessing. And he said, if you fail in daily, habitual, intentional family worship, no matter how good of a mom or dad you are, you're a failure in everything. Woof. You don't know. <laughs> my wife my wife actually heard that portion of the sermon this morning in the car and she just kind of stood quiet for a second and was like whoa you know and and that was it it was impactful it's very that line right there is very impactful yeah yeah it came with the heavy Vodi Bakum said something similar he said if you teach a child to keep his eye on the ball but fail to teach them to keep their eye on Christ, you're a failure as a father. Man, man. And, and yeah, I mean, look, I take my daughter to dance class every day, you know, and if that's the most time that I spend with my daughter, if that's the highlight of my day with her, then, then I have to agree with Odie. You know, I failed. Yes. If I'm not, if I'm not making sure she has her own, a quiet time with the Lord in the morning before she does anything else. If I'm not afterwards, you know, sharing something that she could have learned from God uh, um, through interactions at the school or, you know, ultimately during the evening having family worship, then I did fail. You know, these, these worldly things are just, they're gifts from God to be, to be, to, you know, to have joy with and to, to enjoy. But, they're not the end all. That's not why God granted us time. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting because in Beaky's sermon, he he uh, said that the family was a little church. And I believe Martin Luther said something similar, if not the exact same thing. Um, a nursery of the Holy Spirit, a nursery for heaven. And so uh, when we think about parenting, the Puritans believed that the Lord was the Lord of the size of the family and didn't see them as a burden, but the open womb, they believe, was a reward from the from the Lord. Uh, and we know that in this day and age, we view children as how many can, we can afford. And that was not the view of the Puritans. Mm. And certainly that is not the biblical view. Uh, we don't view children as to how many we can afford. Um, and so I believe it is in France, they have 1.5 kid per family and the United States, 1.2 kid per family. Uh, and then you look at the Muslims and of course they have many wives. Uh, they're having tons of kids. And so uh, we just need to outbreed them. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think Vody made that argument. In, he in did. The past. Yeah. Um, we're not having enough kids and, yes. and, and uh, we need to, set up that next generation to be biblically sound you know if we if we don't you know but then you know two 2.5 kids against uh, uh you know 2.5 christian kids against uh, uh six muslim kids getting prepped for the next generation 
I mean, you know, it, it's it's a tough task for the kids yeah. in the future. Even though we got the truth, you know what I mean? that That's what we got to stand on. It, it, the odds really are still <laughs> in the Christian's favor. But still, you know, generationally speaking, to, to, to have an impact on society, you know, we need to be able to spread out into more areas. So the the Muslim, the six Muslim kids will be able to spread out more than the 2.5 Christians. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. And so children are to grow up learning about God and knowing the will of God. And if, and being taught, if, if they are willing to make God their God and turn to him in faith that God will make them his own. And so children are to grow up learning about God and knowing that God is willing to be their God if they too would but turn to him in repentance and faith. They are to be taught to seek the Lord and to serve him and him alone. And so if you're admirable in every area of your life, in your family, you talk to your kids about the Lord, but neglect family worship, you're not molding your kids in family worship now. And it's not going to carry with them for the future. Um, if you do family worship, but you live as a hypocrite, you destroy family worship because why would your kids want the God that you serve when they hear you say one thing, but live another way? Yep. And, and I mean, through a, most of my Christian life, I mean, a lot of my Christian life, and even now it happens, right? You, you, you have this, uh, deep time in, in, in worship or your own personal devotion. And, uh, you know, especially like in the morning, you wake up, you spend your time with the Lord, you read, you pray, and then and then you get ready for work and you walk outside, you get in your car and bang, somebody cut you off. And it's almost like you forgot everything you prayed and forgot everything you read. And if you got your family in the car with you at that point in time, you know, what example are you setting? You know, what, what are you showing? You know, you just finished teaching, you know, your kid some portion of scripture that pertains to humility uh, or pertain to not being angry. And <laughs> you just uh, put it on full display in front of them. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I heard there was one kid who said, uh, Daddy, how come, uh, you know, everybody on the road is an idiot when you drive, but not so much for mommy? How come they only come out and drive when you're around? <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> i mean they pick up on it and so i believe that we need a balance of the two and and beaky mentioned this um we need the administration of family worship and right living uh before their eyes we need christ-like living and that's where we need to be that, that's the sweet spot uh living a humble life before god walking it before their eyes and having humble God glorifying family worship with them. Mm. So, you know, uh, we got, you know, parents that just sit their kids in front of veggie tails all day and expect that, you know, Bob the tomato and Larry the cucumber, whatever he is, is going to disciple the kids. No, mom and dad, you are the most powerful. Listen to this. Mom and dad, you are the most powerful influence in the life of your kids, beyond media, beyond social media, uh, beyond television, movies, their friends. You are the most powerful influence, and we just need to remind you about that. And you need to take your influence, and you need to influence your kids, and you need to set the guidelines for them so that you can administer family worship in their lives and in your home, if in fact you're not doing that. 
But how do you do that? I'm so glad you asked. Let's give some practical guidelines for family worship. All right. The first thing is you want to do it daily or as often as you can. I understand that there's things that happen uh, in our home. We we do it as often as possible. Um, we sometimes miss a day here or there. But the Puritans did it twice a day. We should at least be doing it once a day. If you can do it twice a day, more power to you. Uh, go for it. But what about when you're listening to this and you're saying, listen, I just don't have enough time. You don't know my schedule. I'm not able to hear that because that's actually a lie. It's not that you don't have enough time. That's actually never an excuse. There are 24 hours in a day, 168 hours in a week. And God created time for his honor and for his glory. And we need to worship him with the way we use our time. If you show me how you you use your time, I'll show you what you love and what you worship. Mm. So, I mean, there's no excuse that we don't have enough time because I find, you know, like Nick, you take your daughter to dance practice, right? During the school year, we take our, our daughter to her Irish step uh, and we've taken our other daughter to swimming uh, instruction. We have enough time to take them for those things. You tell me we don't have enough time to sit down with our kids in our home. We can place them under the tutelage of others to teach them skills, which are good and, and I'm for it, but we can't teach them the most important thing in life because we don't have enough time. All right, Nick, what do you say about that? Kind of back up right in my mind. I'm thinking what a, what a privilege it is to worship God. Like, I, I don't like when my kids say, oh, we have to go to church. I said, no, you don't have to go to church. You get to go to church. Privilege. Because it's a privilege. Yes. God has made it possible for us to go to church. God gave you two parents who love the Lord and are over you and are trying to raise you up in, in, in such a way that honors God. Amen. You know, and if we don't make that time, if we don't show it, guess what? When they grow up, they're not going to know what to look back to, you know. They're not going to know what what foundation to look back on to 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 show them once once they come on some rocky grounds, you know. Once life gets a little bit rough and tough, they're not going to know what to default to. They're yeah. going to default to the world because at some point in time, mom and dad are not going to be there, you know. And and and. What are they gonna what are they gonna turn to if we didn't kind of cultivate that in their lives from the moment that they were little? And and you told me too, like in, in terms of you know, making the house like a church, you, you told me in the past, it, it also kind of gets them, you know, um used to the idea of church, right? You know, you, you do family you do church at home and 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 uh and you sing with them at home. You was telling me, you know, it, it makes it a lot easier for them to sing at church. And that blessed me, you know, that, that caused me to, to, to tweak a little bit the way I do my family worship with the kids. Amen. Amen. Yeah. I mean, just think about it. What you practice in the home, right? Imagine if every family was having family worship in their home, then you bring all the families together. It's like ignite, just igniting in the church. It's like putting fuel on the fire. You bring all these people that have been singing during the week, reading the word during the week, 
praying during the week and now you put them all in one place. Oh man. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, you had choir rehearsal at home and now you have an extended choir rehearsal with the full choir in the church service so that one day in heaven we can have the choir not just rehearsing but just worshiping the lamb together and i mean mm. one just leads to the next from the home to the body of christ in the local church to heaven i mean we got to see those dots and we got to connect them and it's it's imperative that we do this i mean this is exactly the street that the lord has told us to travel on it's called the narrow way. Notice it's not called the popular way. It's not called the politically correct way. Um, it's not called the white privilege way or the socially oppressive way. It is called the way of the Lord. And that's the way we need to travel. Listen to what Samuel Davies, a later Puritan, was a counterpart to Jonathan Edwards said. What were you for this world? Only there would be some force in this objection. But how strange does such an objection sound coming from an heir of eternity? Pray, what is your time given to you for? Is it not principally that you and your children might be prepared for eternity? Have you no time for the greatest business in your life? No. Listen, time, not an excuse. And so what we need to do is we need to do it daily and not use time as an excuse. The second one that we uh, should use as a guideline is having daily prayer. It was Thomas Doolittle who wrote in his Puritan book on family worship, we should pray every day because we have everyday needs of God's mercy, because there are sins committed every day in our families, because we have needs which God alone can supply and daily employments that need to be blessed by him. Listen to what Thomas Doolittle wrote in his Puritan book on family worship. He writes, we should pray every day because we have everyday need of God's mercies, because there are sins committed every day in our families, because we have needs which only God can supply and daily employments that need to be blessed by him. We are everyday liable to temptations, liable to hazards, casualties, and afflictions. So we need to go to God every day. John Calvin said, prayer was climbing up into the lap of my father and whispering my needs into his ears. Mm. So in family worship, should you take your little children onto your lap, one on each knee, look them in the face, lovingly, earnestly, passionately, and teach them the word of God. Mm. That's good stuff right there. The only thing better than that is what? The word of God itself. (laughs) (laughs) More of it. Word up. (laughs) And so we ought to have uh, daily prayer, and we also ought to have daily reading of the scriptures, an explanation of the scriptures. Um, What do you do with this, Nick, as you read the scriptures and explain it? In terms of when we're doing family worship, yes. what we what we're doing now is we read through an entire book. Okay. So what we started practicing is we started we do one in the Old Testament, we finish that one, then we jump into the New Testament. And we try to read one chapter and sometimes depending on the conversation that it sparks, uh we we might sit there for a while. We might sit in that chapter 
if it, it, you know, depending on the split of the of the chapter itself. But it's really we we all take turns reading, so we we say to one another, uh, we we look at each other. Sometimes I I basically go, Nicole, uh, there's forty five verses, so do the math. And then she goes and she says, you know, such and such. We read such and such uh, a piece and she starts and we listen, you know, with her portion and everybody gets a chance to read. And usually after that, I go, anybody have a question or anybody has a comment or anything? And usually there is none. (laughs) But um, and then I start, I start going through the passage again, and we, we talk about it. Uh, if there's a doctrine to point out, a specific doctrine, a deity of Christ, if there's if there's a verse here that proves a certain thing, like the Trinity, um, um, I point it out to them, and then I try to get to the practical um, um, aspects of the, of the passage. And uh, what I love about this way is that we can't, um, we can't escape, we can't dodge the hard topics. Yeah, so... so like, for example, we were reading through Matthew and we got to the portion of, of, of adultery and, and, and Jesus's view on adultery or Jesus's command on adultery. And we had to talk about it. We had to talk about divorce. And we went through all of that. Yeah, my daughter was about, you know, nine years old, eight years old. But we talked about it. She heard about it. She understood. We went through other passages that spoke about divorce. Um, hmm. um, and, you know, my other son was there. He's older. But we didn't have we didn't have an opportunity to to dodge that bullet, good. and I'm grateful for that because she was able to hear and know. Listen, divorce is not good. Divorce is against what God has commanded, and yes. and um, you know that's that's what the blessing is when you when you go through the Word of God in that fashion. You know you don't you're not supposed to just say, oh, this is a tough chapter. Let's skip this one today. You know, yeah, you, you don't you don't get that. You don't have that choice. You know, we're going to honor God's word. And sometimes God's word has some rough stuff for our ears, but um, he is the Lord and we're not. And yeah. We just um, receive it, accept it, um, take rebuke where we need to be rebuked and ask for forgiveness. And, and sometimes they have to see me do that. They have yeah. to see me um, repent. Like, wait, 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 wait. You have actually asked your daughter and wife to forgive you for sinning against them. I I, I lost count <laughs> how many times I've had to do that. I think I did that today. <laughs> but yeah, and not only just you know for things that I've done against them, but you know um, sometimes is we're reading it and we're just talking about it, and then I have to repent for my own sin that I've done that they don't even know about. And yeah. I do it there, you know. Yeah, Amen. I mean, what a uh, what a living lesson that is, because um, you're you're teaching your family. Listen, we need to repent before the Lord, and if if we sin against our family, we need to ask for their forgiveness. And I like what uh, I think it's Todd Friel who brought this out. Um, I don't know who he maybe stole it from or, um, but he said there's a big difference between uh, mistakes and sins. So if our kids spill the milk, that's a mistake. Um, If our kids disobey us, that's a sin. Right. Um, If we tell our kids we're going to do something, we don't do it. That's a lie. Uh, We need to ask for their forgiveness. Right. Um, If we, you know, knock their toy over, that was a mistake. We say, I'm sorry. And so, you know, I think that that is something very important to practice in the home, the aspect of repentance. 
Um, because listen, there were a bunch of sinners living in the same place. You're de- you're bound to sin against one another, and so practicing repentance in the home uh, will hopefully pour out and and stretch out to our daughters and our sons practicing them in their families one day. But I like what uh, Joel Beakey mentioned um, in the book. I think it's called The Directory of Family Worship. He says concerning uh, when fathers are teaching their kids, um, if there are judgments read, then the father should expound upon those judgments. If there are comforts, he should comfort his children with those verses. If encouragements, he should encourage his children with those verses. If invitations, he should invite them. So the father comes along especially and applies the reading to his children. He brings the application into their lives using the catechism method, which is question answer. And they can respond to that because we're asking questions that are appropriate to their level. Notice I didn't say their age, their (laughs) level, because some kids understand at a higher level and quicker than others. I don't like using the age per se, uh, view, which would be more akin to the modern father of uh, education, John Dewey. Um, and so we ask them questions. And so as we read, that's what I do with my kids. I just I fire a couple questions off to, to my kids and even my wife. And um, this promotes regular discussion with your kids. And I love what you said before, Nick. You said you talked about divorce. The first time she gets to hear about and understand the biblical view of divorce is from you and not social media and not from one of her friends and not from some hip hop artist or some rock star down the road. She gets to hear that God hates it. She gets to hear the biblical view from her father. And that is powerful. And, uh, you know, I, I praise God that you're doing that. Amen. Yeah. You know, and, and the questions is definitely you know, they are they are a spark for the conversations. I think it's important that we do um, add the questions because, like I said, sometimes I ask, does anybody have a question or comment? And, and uh, you kind of hear crickets, uh, but it's it's okay, you know, because it's not always like that. And and um, but it's also good to try to um, challenge them. And when I say them, I mean. It's not just me and my kids. We do it I, when we do family worship. Um, you know, I'm assuming you have your wife with you too, right, Phil? Yes. Yeah. So you know, my wife sometimes you know doesn't understand things either, and and we got to go through that as well. Sure. So it's always, you know, it's it's just a blessing. I don't I I don't know how else to say it, but that family when. I decided to start doing family worship when I found out the importance of, of family worship. The whole house was absolutely blessed. And I'm not talking <laughs> about, hey, you know, things got good, you know, now the bank account is bigger. I'm not talking about, you know, oh, I don't get angry no more. Oh, I don't do this anymore. But you know what? Like, we learned so much from God in that in those times. Yeah. And, and we, we learned so much about each other. Yeah. And and um, you know, I can't I can't say it enough. Family worship, like Joe Beaky said in that sermon, you know, he promised you will be blessed. God will bless that. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I agree. And you know, he he also said, um, 
in Proverbs, it's like a, a father saying, you know, son, uh, listen to my instruction. Uh, don't forsake your mother's teaching. Uh, that should be the heart that we come to our children with, uh, doctrinal purity, uh, making the scripture relevant and applicable to the practical way that they live. And we should be affectionate uh, toward their hearts. We should have an affectionate manner in the way that we teach them. And I like that he said this, um, no interruptions during family worship. Oh, yeah, definitely. And just to go back real quick about, you know, uh, the aspect where where the way that the, the the father should be speaking to the kids yes. in terms of with, with the scripture. Also, um, we, we also can't assume that our kids are saved just because they got Christian parents. Oof. So, so what, say what, that again, we can't assume that our kids are saved just because they have Christian parents. Woo. So and if you're a kid and you're hearing this, <laughs> if right? you're a kid in the car right now and you're hearing this, all right, girl, boy, because those are the only two genders, uh, realize that if your parents are walking with Christ, that does not automatically mean that you are. You still need Christ. Yep. So it's important for a parent to give the gospel, to yes. bring things back to Christ in, in, in family worship. And I do, my, I do my best to try to bring it always back to the gospel. You know, whether, whether it's a promise from God, and and like last night, you know, we, we were we were reviewing a catechism before bed and, and I said, You see this promise of eternity? You yes. see this promise of God that, that that believers will be going into heaven, you know, will will be acquitted from on the day of judgment. Guess what? That's only for believers. You know, and then I go into a gospel message and I tell my daughter, like, if you want to experience that promise, if you want to experience that blessing. Yes. That you need to be sure that you are right with God. Oof. You know, some people will look at me, will look at me and say, "Hey, don't you think you're being too hard? Isn't that a little bit too tough?" No, you know what's tough? You know, sitting inside knowing that your daughter didn't get saved and she dies, and you know that her that her you know um, eternal destination is hell. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And just kind of along with this, as an aside, you know, you would hope that that if if she marries, that she'll marry a godly man. And, and Nick, you and I and, and other fathers that are listening to this, uh, we're the example for our daughters. Whew, it's a little scary to think that. I mean, it's that's heavy. That's heavy to just contemplate that, isn't it? Yep. And check this out, Phil. My daughter hears me pray to God for a godly husband for her. Yes. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm with I you sit, on that one. I sit there and I pray right in front of her face. Lord, sure. please bring a husband for my daughter that loves you more than he loves her. Yes. You know, and she looks at me like I'm crazy. That's right. She's like, <laughs> how, she's, she's 10 now or nine? She's 11. Oh, 11. Okay, mm. man. <laughs> 11 years old. And she's thinking, you're crazy. But listen. <laughs> All of those prayers, you know, God hears all those prayers, each and every one of them. And so this time is, you know, really a sacred time. Worship, family worship, catechism. Um, it's a sacred time in the little church. And in addition, uh, the Puritans, I think they did an hour of catechism a week. Um, we normally do more than that. If I add it up, you know, all the time we do it throughout, throughout you know, throughout the week. Um 
I'm not necessarily counting. I just do it until I'm finished. Sometimes they're shorter. Sometimes they're longer. Uh, you know, I have something prepared and I just do it until we're done. And But when you combine these little things, they make a huge impact. And by the time they're around 20 years old, listen to this, they leave the home and you've done around 7,200 times of family worship and mm. you've discussed almost every single or probably every single subject that scripture covers. <sighs> they get trained in the grace of God and God, of course, God has to bless it. You can't save them. You're not the savior. You're the teacher. He's the savior. Um, they're going to be sent out, trained in the things of God into a hostile world that hates the God that we've taught them for 20 years. Yep. Whew. Man, I mean, I'm, I, and I know I'm just preaching in the choir right now. Uh, you see the brevity and you see the seriousness of what our job is, especially, especially as fathers. And if you don't disciple your kids, the world is going to come along and will gladly do it for you. Yep. Do not, do not drop the ball in this area because when they're 20 years old, you can't just pick the ball up. And run with it. When the cement is wet, Pastor Peter always reminds me. He says, Phil, little girls, little problems. Big girls, big problems. <laughs> <laughs> you ain't lying, right? Right. So like when the cement is wet and they're moldable, man, let's mold them. You know, like a potter molds the clay. Let's let's mold them and teach them to pray and to read and to look to God and and, and and to look forward to going to church because they're going to adapt our attitude. And I love what you said to your daughter. You said, listen, you don't have to go to church. You get to go to church. This is a privilege, which most of her friends are, are not, it's not afforded to most of her friends. Mm. And, and even some of them may go to church. Some of them go to very bad and unbiblical churches. So not only does she have the privilege of going to church, but our kids have the privilege of going to a healthy church, not a perfect one, but a healthy one. Listen is what Psalm chapter 118 verse 15 says. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. And so there's this important aspect about learning to sing to the Lord in our homes. Um, the Puritans did this because they believed that songs stayed longest in the memory. And as a teacher, um, in, in the board of education. Um, and just as a Christian, I believe that there's a lot of truth to that. Uh, I think we remember songs sometimes better than and easier than we perhaps can recall Bible verses. Uh, you're a music artist, Nick. You have any input on that? Yeah. I mean, definitely it's, it's easier for somebody to catch on to, um, on when you do it with music, uh, it's funny, right? Because that's how we learn the catechisms. That's how we Ooh. memorize them with with uh with uh, uh it's a uh, it's right now we're looking at a YouTube channel, but it also comes in C D yes. from uh Founders Ministries. And uh that's their name, right, Phil? Correct. Founders. Founders. Founders yeah. So they, they they you could get it on C D as well and, and we just sit there and we, we repeat it, we follow along with the words and, and we all singing the tune i remember when i first bought it 
at the G3 conference when they were selling it to me and I first bought it. I guess they saw me and they were looking at me and they were saying, you know, it might be like, it might sound a little cheesy, but uh, it works. I said, don't worry about it. I just want the doctrine. <laughs> so, so, I mean, yeah, it, it helps. It helps make it a little fun as well. Especially, I agree. Especially like with the catechisms. Yes. And, um, um, you know, it it turns out to be a blessing in the long run because it sticks in. Like my wife, my wife the other day, she was like, I can't get the song out of my head. I just keep singing it over and over. I was like, that's a good thing, right? That's it's a good be- thing. It's better than singing, you know, Bobby Brown, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> so keep that one in your head. <laughs> Although I hear Nick sometimes sings a little Marvin Gaines on the side, right? Talking Ooh. about his baby. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, and Nick, you turned me on to that CD, and I put the music on, and me and the kids, we do that as well. And it does really help us to recall uh, the doctrines of the Word of God. And then we take the catechism uh, answers, and I take the verses, and throughout the week, I expound on the verses. And I just do Bible studies with the kids on the verses. And I use verses that aren't even, you know, part of it necessarily. So, for instance, we're doing uh, sanctification. So I was like, man, there's no Philippians 2.12 here. So I, I covered Philippians 2.12 and, and, and verse 13. Um, and they last a few days. So, I mean, it is absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. But we need our kids to memorize God's word and to memorize the catechism. And I think that using song is very important. And like Nick said, Founders um, Ministries has three levels of catechism books. So if you go to, I believe it's founders.org, um, or if you email us at stopathlinkcrew at gmail.com, uh, we can email you uh, links to those resources. And let's just um, talk about the last aspect of this thing. So we do all these things. And what are the results? Uh, Joe Biggie says it beautifies the family. And Nick, you got a beautiful family. Just saying. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah. I mean, my daughter doesn't have kids in her school that do this. Um, But she has, you know, your family and a couple families in the church that are doing this. And actually in our church, we were before the pandemic, we did a time called cookies and catechism where we took the kids that we believe that we're doing in the home, which we kind of brought all the kids down. The families were right there eating and the moms and dads would gather around and uh, we would just kind of quiz them on some of the catechism questions. And uh, you know, a lot of the kids were just kind of, you know, reiterating it, learning it. And it was kind of, time this you know for all the kids to see listen i'm not the only one doing this and all the kids are learning it and i just yeah it's a beautiful thing i want to cry forget about it (laughs) (laughs) but it's also a means of protection Um, it protects them Mm. from the walls of the enemy it protects them from ungodly worldviews which you know it's very easy for them to hear ungodly worldviews but we get to purposefully give them godly worldviews and it helps uh, prepare them they return a welfare um, in their lives and, and brings the satisfaction of a good conscience in our own lives. Cause again, we're the teachers. We're not the savior. We're there to father them and to parent them, but we can't save them. Mm. Um, so it also prepares, uh, the eternal welfare of, of the loved ones. Uh, tens of thousands of children were converted to Christ through family worship and catechism. I mean, what does that do in your heart, Nick, when you hear that that number? I'm I'm blessed by it. 
I'm blessed by it. That's, that's more people to hang out with in heaven. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. And, um, and listen, our prayer, and we pray this right in front of our kids is that our kids will be, uh, just included among those 10,000 when one day every nation, tongue and tribe. I mean, we just want our children to be there. Now, Nick and I both are open air preachers. We go out in the streets and we, and we just pound the pavement with the gospel. And we really want to see people come to Christ. But Nick, is there anyone you want to see come to Christ more than your daughter uh, and your sons? <laughs> it's, it's, it's the core of our prayer. You know, most, absolutely. Most, most every night. I mean, we don't we don't finish a prayer time without praying for each and every one of our kids, um, for their salvation, that the Lord would would bring them to the cross. You know that that they would see the 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 the, the offense that their sin is against God, and that they would sincerely come to Christ. I mean, it's. <laughs> It's what drives us to do family worship. It just drives me to continue because I want to see my kids um, walking with the Lord. Sure. I want to sleep at night knowing that, you know, if something happens to one of them, they're going to be with the Lord. That, Mm -hmm. that, 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 you know, God forbid there is one anytime soon. I don't (laughs) mean, but that, that if there is a funeral, that it would be more of a celebration than anything else because, because I'm at peace that they knew the Lord. Yeah. So the, the father supplemented by their mother, um, you know, to pass the the torch on to the next generation. My friend from Living Waters, Easy Swain, um, my Arab brother, uh, he preached <laughs> a great message called Passing the Torch. I believe that's available on livingwaters.com. Uh, just a great message. Uh, he does these things with his own family. He has also impacted me in this same arena uh, early on when I was just first hearing about this and first learning about this because I wasn't taught this and I was a youth pastor at one time. Uh, I have a ministry degree and I never heard about this. In a Bible college, they never talked about family worship. They only, they talked about youth ministry, never about family worship. Uh, I want my money back. <laughs> <laughs> you know um <laughs> but it's, little, you know, it's like a little seminary <laughs> you know yeah family worship really it is it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's the best seminary i like that can i steal that nick <laughs> yeah it's yours it's free keep it <laughs> we're trying for that one listen to what matthew henry the puritan uh said and also you know uh, he's one of the um, he's got the commentator, the Matthew Henry comment, uh, commentary that many of us use. He said this on his deathbed when he, he gathers his children together around his bed and he, and he admits he, he's not the, he wasn't the perfect father. And he asked them to forgive him for any sin that he's ever committed against them. But then he said, children, don't you dare meet me on the wrong side of Christ on the day of judgment. Because... Every single day in your life, you heard about the importance of knowing Jesus Christ, and you've been invited to come to him in family worship. And I've upheld his name before you every single day of your life. Don't you dare meet me on the wrong side of eternity one day. (laughs) (laughs) About to die and he's still preaching the gospel to them, huh? That's right. That's right. (laughs) 
you know, um, from sunup to sundown, we we must preach the gospel to our kids. But what do you think gave him the courage to say such a thing to his own kids? I mean, it, it's the sureness of God's word. He was fully convinced that, that, yeah. that God does speak in his word. And that, and that God is who he says he is. And that, you know, there's a sureness to, to the promise, to his promises. It's not, it's not a hope of, of, you know, you know, just wishing that it goes the right way. It's a hope of assurance. He's assured, you know, he knows that this is the only way for you kids. This is the only way for you. You know, don't, don't you dare be caught on the other side. Yeah. Yeah. And so Bakey also talks about assistance in child rearing. So when teens come into their own thinking, if you will, if you've been painting a biblical worldview in their early years, that thinking doesn't just turn off like a faucet. Uh, Even if they try to ignore it, that constant dripping of God's word will be in their hearts and minds. Just like you said, uh, the catechism song was just ringing through your wife's mind. Yeah. Uh, that's going to happen in our kids. These things are going to come back to them as long as we're diligent as Deuteronomy six tells us to do. Um, because as teenagers, you fostered that along the way. And there's a, there's a shortness of time. Um, we know that our kids grow up very fast. And so we need to do it diligently and we need to do it very quickly in their lives. So mom and dad, if you're not doing this yet, uh, do it now. Like don't, don't wait, don't wait a week, you know, don't be like someone who, you know, wants to go work out, uh, at a gym. And before you join the gym, you got to lose weight. No, the reason you join the gym is to do that very thing. <laughs> so, um, you know, don't try to like get to a certain level in God, just take the Bible, open it up and read it with your kids. I mean, start somewhere and then uh, have a love for God in his church. I mean, right coupled alongside with family worship should be your family in a healthy, biblical, local church. Um, doing family worship is wonderful and biblical, and it is imperative. But being in a healthy church is just as imperative. You need to sit under the red-hot expository preaching of God's Word. And so I know Nick, uh, Nick teaches in our church. He teaches Sunday school. There's kids and, and parents that, that hear his teaching. My own kids sit under his teaching. Uh, I do the same. I'm one of the elders of the church. So uh, his daughter and other children hear my preaching and teaching. But practically speaking, realize that, that the kids reared in the church normally grow up to be the backbone and leaders of the church of tomorrow mm. as, as God regenerates their hearts, as they grow older in Christ. Um, of course, just learning doesn't make them saved, but God takes all the learning and uses it. So Nick, let's finish off with this aspect, just some practical application. Um, you and I, we, we get our family together. We do family worship. We sing, we pray. We might pray for the needs of the church. Um, we could pick out specific songs that we sing in the church. Uh, you know, um, that's not rocket science. Sing some of the songs you sing in your church, the ones that are thick with theology, uh, offer words of encouragement, uh, trials and errors. Uh, what are some of the things you might add, Nick? Um, family worship has assisted me in helping to cultivate in the house a reverence for the Lord, uh, a fear of God, and and 
that's what I want them to do. I don't want uh, uh, silliness. I don't want, you know, um, distractions. You know, you're not getting up five times to go to the bathroom. Um, <laughs> you're not going to answer the phone. You're not going to do this. You, you, you didn't just remember to finish your homework. Um, you're not going to just, you know, like like my son one time came. I called for family worship. My son comes down the hall, you know, and he walks and he just like tosses the Bible, you know, onto the, you know. Uh, and I'm not trying to say that we got to worship, you know, the Bible like an idol. But um, it's it's a picture of really how he feels about God. Right. It's a picture about the reverence that he's showing. He doesn't like to sit down and do family worship. So so be prepared for that. Some of your kids are not going to like to do family worship. Some of your kids are going to come grumpy, grumpy to, to the couch or grumpy to the dinner table. And and that's a lot of, you know, I've had to deal with that quite a bit. And um, what do you do? Well, you stay obedient to the Lord. You stay faithful and you continue to do what you're supposed to do as a leader of the home, um, whether you're the father and you're, you're involved and you're in the home or whether you're a single mother, um, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And, and though that might be that, Hey, this kid is not getting it. You know, it doesn't matter. You got to plant that seed and, and, and cultivating that reverence for God, whether that kid is, is being rebellious, you know, um, blatantly rebellious, um, it, it, it's what you have to do because whether that kid is, is not believing in God and doesn't want anything to do with God, he needs to know that it doesn't matter if you don't believe in God, it does not change the reality of who God is. Yes. So, yeah, I think that's, that's, that's basically the, one of the important things for me when I'm doing family worship is that God is reverence. And I'm not saying sit down, fold your hands and look straight, you know, I I don't do that, but you know it's it's just you know we are coming together before God, and I want the family to realize and recognize that 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 you know I think too too many times we kind of um we kind of treat God you know like like a side dish or something you know like he's not a side piece you know he is the the one he is the creator you know. And we kind of downplay God too much. Um, really, whether it be a lack of faith or a lack of trust in him. So I want to show my kids that God is important, that God is 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 preeminent, that he is the one. He is our creator. We are able to sit together because of him. We have a roof to sit under because of him. We just had yes. this meal because of him. And, and all of that plays into the family worship Good. because, you know, that's what they're going to carry outside when they go outside. Sure, sure. And I, I remember, I believe you asked this question, well, what stops you from doing family worship? Um, the, I mean, I could answer that. Nothing. <laughs> nothing. Nothing should stop us. Yep. Uh, many people uh, have more time worshiping television. Oh, did I say that out loud? Um, <laughs> <laughs> then, uh, then you know, uh, spending time in family worship. Some people prioritize television over family worship. Um, listen, if time's a gift from God, shouldn't we honor him with it? And mm -hmm. so I just want to kind of wrap things up as, as Glenroy would say to wrap it in a bow. Um, so, I mean, 
I know. I, I love the I brother. I can't picture Glenn Roy saying that, but all right. <laughs> yes, yes. And, um, you know, so, I mean, we just, we, we looked at a lot of things today concerning family worship. Um, I think this is a crucial, important topic that many people neglect. Uh, I think we see the reality. There's an attack on the family. I really don't think youth ministries are working. Um, maybe at another time we'll talk about, you know, what do we do with that kid that doesn't have Christian parents? Uh, there is an answer to that. Um, and I don't believe that it is per se youth ministry um, in the way we believe it to be and practice in many churches. Um, that doesn't mean that, you know, does that mean we turn around and fire all the youth pastors now and things like that? And I'm, I'm not saying that. Um, but what I am saying is that God's plan is family worship. And so if that plan is not happening, we can't replace it with a different plan. because That plan hasn't and is not working. And again, we have to realize uh, since there's an attack on the family, that the enemy wants to attack our families. Um, matter of fact, he doesn't need to attack families that he already, that already belong to him. Uh, unbelievers, he's already got them. He's not attacking them. They're, they're in, they're in his claw, if you will. And, and the wrath of God is abiding upon them. But our children, we need to do our due diligence, uh, with that. And so we looked at the reality of, uh, family worship being, uh, something that is a non-negotiable. So begin it now. And what you want to do is you want to have a time of song. Uh, you can sing as many songs as you want, but at least do one that's good and, and doctrinally rich. And hopefully it is just some of those that you sing in your church already. Wait, wait, wait Phil, you mean not the song that goes, he reigns 10,000 times? We don't, no. we don't sing that song? No, we definitely don't <laughs> sing that song. He reigns. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness yes that is my least favorite song on the chart <laughs> that song and these lips will never come together <laughs> you know then we call those Seven Eleven songs seven 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 words sung 11 times <laughs> although that's a, that's a 211 song only two words sung 11 times <laughs> so uh we need to sing uh, you know, sing hymns, you could sing the Psalms, uh, sing biblical songs, and you could sing the catechisms uh, as well. Uh, pray, uh, pray for the needs in your church. Pray what you just read in the scriptures. You want a, different things to pray for? Uh, pray about the judgments and the encouragements uh, that you just read in the word. And as you read, expound on the scriptures and discuss them. You don't have to have 50 questions. Although I come very close to asking that amount, <laughs> but uh, you know, mom and dad, come up with one or two good questions to, to grapple with with you and your kids, and make it practical and, and applicable. Um, the scripture is applicable to every single generation. It's not like those that read the Quran is stuck in the seven gener, the, uh, not the seventh generation, the seventh century. Uh, the Bible is relevant for every generation and at all times. Uh, well, I just want to leave you with a few resources. Uh, Family Worship Bible Guide by Joel Beakey. Uh, he has a lot of good resources. Uh, Scott Brown has a great book called A Theology for the Family. So if you go to the Family Integrated Church um, uh, and search that on Google or your favorite search engine, uh, you will find a slew of of great resources on that. And then from Founders Ministry, their catechism guides, along with the music, 
If you would like to contact us, please email us at stopandthinkcrew at gmail.com. You can also visit our website at www.stopandthinkpodcast.com. This podcast is listener supported by generous people like you. You can give a tax-deductible donation at our affiliate ministry at www.soulfishingministries.org and click on our donate link to give securely through PayPal. Thank you for listening to Stop and Think About It.